and welcome to another episode of the How to Start a Startup podcast by Hyper. Today, we have a workshop that included our co-CEO, Tom West, on how to raise capital for your startup. It's a wide-ranging discussion, including building your investor pitch and answering investor concerns, do's and don'ts when approaching investors, how much to raise and where to allocate capital, raising Series A and beyond, planning your exit, and the impact the pandemic had on securing investment. So with that, let's get into the episode. Yeah, welcome everyone to today's workshop and hope everyone's uh, obviously keeping safe. Um, Bit of housekeeping before we get started. In terms of agenda, Tom West, uh, who's the founder of Hyper, who a lot of you uh, have probably met, will begin by discussing the investment cycle who to raise from the investor do's and don'ts and how to allocate your seed round. And then our second speaker, who's uh, Simon Moynar from Icon. Uh, Icon's a global tech investment firm. Uh, He'll discuss the Series A investments and beyond, and also how the pandemic has affected the the investment world. Um, Simon, do you want to give a bit of a background, quick intro, if you will? Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Good to good to meet everyone, and and hello, and thanks very much for inviting me on the uh, on the panel, um, Matt and Tom. So I'm one of the partners at uh, Icon Corporate Finance, and we advise companies in the tech sector either on uh, raising capital for growth um, or when it's exits, we advise the shareholders when they come to sell. So um, we are very active at sort of raising kind of the Series A and Series B capital and also doing recapitalizations. Um, and um, and on the exits front, we sell uh, to typically to strategic uh, uh, acquirers. So we've sold companies to the likes of um, Thomson Reuters, um, uh, Aviva, RWE, Empower, uh, Accenture, NTT, uh, Telstra. So it's very much a sort of global uh, uh, buyer base that we uh, that we deal with, and um, and there's certainly a trend from big, large kind of multinational firms like Telstra, like the NTTs, who just can't kind of develop technology um, in house, and so they're kind of spending kind of large sums of money to buy it um, uh, on the market and acquire it on the market. And those are companies often which are pretty small relative to their size. So they're often kind of, yeah, maybe only kind of 30 people, but they're happy to spend kind of large sums of money, which therefore in turn is fueling kind of this wave of capital, which is going into sort of early stage venture capital uh, money. And, And the amount of money that's been raised to fund technology companies is kind of never been higher. Um, so it is probably kind of one of the best times to be an entrepreneur if you're looking to raise, um, looking to raise money. So that's kind of a bit of uh, intro on 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 me and on Icon. I hope that's uh, okay for you, Matt and yeah, Tom. Yeah, perfect. Thanks, thanks, Simon. Um, so everyone, at the end, we'll have about 20 minutes for Q and A's. Um, there should be a Q and A button at the bottom, so just click that and and type in your question. Uh, but yeah, over over to you, Tom. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Uh, and thanks everyone for jumping on Zoom this morning for the UK, and and good evening for the Aussie founders, uh, and I suppose afternoon for the UAE and, and Saudi Arabia. So, the first thing I want to chat about is I suppose the five phases of raising capital, and you know as Simon mentioned, uh, he specialises in your know, Series A and beyond. Uh, but today I just wanted to take you through this simple diagram of you know the first round of capital you typically look to raise is from friends and family. So they'll typically chip in you know, five to 10,000 at a time. Uh, and that pre-seed round is, is usually the round that gets your MVP live in the app store 
uh, and, and starting to transact and process some transaction volume. And then moving on is a seed round, and that's typically angel investors that have a larger check size of, say, 50 to 100,000. And then uh, Series A is usually, usually once you've proven your business model, uh, you've got some transaction volume and you need that capital to scale into new cities or new countries, for instance. Uh, and again, Series B is a larger raise, and that's that's usually a few other countries, and you're starting to land grab and get that first mover advantage. Uh, and then there's even Series C, D, and, and on, and then you know getting on the stock market and acquisition, uh, a merger. So I'll just break down each uh, section. So family and friends, uh, believe it or not. With the for Amazon, for instance, Jeff Bezos, the first round of investment he raised was from his parents. Uh, Uber, you know, Travis, the first the first round of investment he raised was ten thousand US dollars from a friend. Um, so that pre-seed round is is typically the friends and family, and they they are showing support. They're doing little due diligence. Um, they're not going to add a huge amount of you know, strategic value uh, like a VC does or, or an angel investor that may have owned a successful business, but um, they are taking a lot of risk because you haven't proven your business model yet. Now, the angel investors, as I just mentioned, they typically, they will do a little bit more due diligence and family and friends, uh, but they do have that larger check size. They do typically come with a bit of strategic advice um, they may have, you know, may have already run a successful business. So they can add that value if you're a first-time founder. Uh, they typically have a good network, um, so it's you know, it does come in handy if you can get an angel investor around the pre-seed. But usually, usually it comes in around the seed round. Now, venture capital VCs. Uh, there are a few cons. You do need to be careful. There are VCs out there that you know. Want to want you to sign term sheets that aren't in your favour. Um, they can they can be aggressive, uh, but they can all be, also be super valuable. They can add a huge amount of uh, knowledge, resource, network. Um, they may have invested in similar businesses. They already understand you know, how to scale scale the business, uh, and they have that amazing network. And and like I said before, that the check size is a lot bigger than you know typically family and friends and angel investors. It's Starts to say around five hundred thousand know, into the millions, uh, and that that can obviously help you rapidly expand. Now, crowdfunding uh, around the seed, sometimes pre-seed to the Series A, uh, it can be really beneficial. Some of you in the in the UK probably would have seen it, Revolut. Um, you know, th there is millions you can raise on crowdfunding, and and it if you if you're raising for a B two C technology business. Um, it can be really beneficial because you, you're potentially acquiring your tens of thousands of users at the same time, uh, which reduces your customer acquisition cost. Uh, one good example uh, for, for a hyper client was Shiba, female-only Uber in Australia. They actually raised around $3 million Australian dollars, and all of a sudden they had thousands of loyal drivers that were now not only shareholders, but loyal drivers are never going to go across to say Uber as a competitor. So it blocks out that competition. Uh, and they also acquired tens of thousands of customers, which in terms, you know, saves millions of dollars in, in customer acquisition costs sometimes. Uh, for, for Australian founders, Equitize uh, is our equity crowdfunding partner. Uh, and in the UK, it's Crowdcube and Cedars. 
some of you probably saw the news a few days ago, Crowdcube and Seed is emerging. Uh, both of them have raised around a billion pounds since inception. Uh, they're now merging, so their database is going to be huge. Uh, the, the capital that they're able to raise for, for early stage founders is, uh, is going to be significant. So that's pretty exciting for, for the UK. Now, government grants, uh, it can be quite tedious, uh, but it's definitely worth looking at the government grants websites, uh, you know, on a monthly basis. Um, you know, in particular, now they're deploying a lot of money, uh, for instance, about bounce back loans, very, very little due diligence. If you can prove that um, you were doing revenue last financial year, they, they can give you an interest-free loan. Uh, you do have to pay it back, but it's interest-free for the first 12 months. Uh, there's also in Australia, I understand in the last few days, uh, they're, they're, they're releasing a new government grant that will give 10,000 uh, 10, Australian dollars per employee for the first 12 years, to try to kickstart the economy um, post COVID-19. And in the UK, uh, the kickstart scheme is launching and the UK government will fund any, any employees from 16 to 24 years old, 100% of their salary for the first six months. Um, you do need to hire 30 people. Um, so you, you have to, you're actually allowed to go to multiple startups, your founders get together uh, and hire those 30 people together. Uh, that can obviously save a lot of money. If you don't raise, if you're not able to raise you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds, it, it obviously is quite valuable. Now, how do I find investors? This is this is obviously early early on. What I usually like to say uh, is, as I mentioned, personal, family, and friends uh, network, friends of friends. There's a huge amount of online communities. If you want to jump on Eventsprite and Meetup, both of them constantly have capital raising workshops, angel uh, angel investor workshops. Uh, LinkedIn's a great one. Uh, Crunchbase, some of you that are clients have probably seen that we've got a premium Crunchbase uh, account. You can actually export active investors uh, and get them all into a list, um, categorize them correctly too, um, you know, from angel investors to VCs to family and friends. Uh, angel list, it's worth creating a profile as well. Um, moving on to preparation. So, do your background research is a massive one. When, when you meet an investor for the first time, you want to already know what was their previous business, what have they invested in. You want to know as much about them as possible. That's going to really help you quickly build rapport and respect um, with an investor. Make sure you have a data room set up, a data room, sorry, for the UK. It's really important, and I see a lot of a lot of early stage founders failing here. And it's really simple. It's you create a Dropbox folder or a Google Drive folder. You upload everything you want an investor to be able to view, whether it be your pitch deck, your prototype, your business plan, your financial forecast. If you've already raised a little bit of money, your cap table. That needs to sit and always be updated. And when you have a meeting with an investor. You literally need to share that with them within one to two hours. I see founders meeting with an investor saying they'll send information over and it takes them seven days. By that seven days, you've lost that investor. They, you know, they're looking at a lot of investments, a lot of founders. And if you take seven days to send information over to them, you, you can pretty much wipe that investment. Um, so make, definitely make sure that you're, you're organized with that, um, that data. 
Now the pitch, one of the, one of the things you really want to make sure you you've closed is partnerships. Uh, it's key to launching successfully and getting some rapid traction. Don't ask for an NDA. Uh, and I, I know a lot of you probably think, that, you know, that's a bit crazy, but 99.9% of the time, these investors, especially these early investors, they're not going to be meeting with your competition. They're not going to be investing in your competition. If you feel they are, then that's fine. You might ask for an NDA, but otherwise don't worry about it. It's a privilege to meet with an investor for them to take time to give you some mentorship, some advice. Um, so don't worry about that NDA. Uh, make sure you know your numbers as well. So some of you have probably seen Shark Tank and Dragon's Den if you don't know your numbers, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. You need to know what your projected you know, forecast revenue is, your profitability, the cost of development, the cost of marketing, the cost to scale to a new country. So before you meet with an investor, just pitch this and, and get, you know, even a family friend or, or you know, someone at Hyper to listen and, and critique and, and ask you those questions around, around the numbers because you need to make sure you get them right. Now, next one is how much should I raise? And the answer is as much as you need to reach profitability. That being said, most tech companies don't become profitable for five to 10 years. So it's a, how long is a piece of string? I usually like to say as much money as possible because one of the main risk of an early stage startup is running out of money. Uh, I like to also say always be raising. So if you raise 50,000 pounds, investor the following week says that they'd like to invest, immediately organize that for them. Um, don't don't put hold them off and say, you know, I'll come back to you in a few months. Always be raising throughout that, you know, for the whole journey of running the tech startup. Um, it's a, one, one, one thing I see uh, startups making that mistake is only opening rounds every 12 months. But if an investor is keen to invest, you need to take that investment as quickly as possible. Now, how do I deploy the money? Uh, it's, a, it's a difficult one and it really does vary. Uh, I like to give two examples, two of our clients, Ride, which is an electric scooter company, uh, versus Sheba, which is a female-only Uber. Um, so you can see here with the pie chart, we've gone 30% development, 30% salaries. You obviously need to pay yourself a salary. You can't live on nothing. 30% um, on marketing. Now, Ride, for instance, we didn't have to spend any money on marketing. Why? Because the scooters sat out on the street, they were bright yellow and they just stick out so well uh, that we didn't have to spend any money. And, and they people would just see, see the scooter, they would come up, they'd scan their phone at the QR code uh, and they would transact. Um, whereas Sheba was a bit different. We had to probably spend about 27% on marketing because we needed to acquire those, those drivers um, and customers and being a two-sided marketplace, we needed to spend that accordingly to make sure it balanced out correctly. Uh, equity as well. So pre-seed, I think 5%, you 10% know, to friends and family. Uh, the seed round around 10 to 20%. Uh, and I like, always like to say it's, it's a lot better having a, a big piece of, sorry, a small piece of a big pie than a big piece, a, a big piece of a small pie. Uh, you know, if you can, if you can own 
40% of the business after 10 years when you're IPOing on the stock market or your company's getting acquired, you're going to be in a very good position. So don't hold on to that equity. The investors are taking a huge uh, punt uh, on you. There is a lot of risk involved. So do give them that equity um, early on. And that is, that's, me done. I'm going to now hand you over to, to Simon to chat a little bit more about Series A and beyond. Uh, if you guys can see the Q&A, you can ask as many questions as you want. Um, just press the Q&A button and after Simon's had a bit of a chat, we'll, we'll be able to go over those questions with you. So thanks, guys. Yeah, thank, thanks very much. And um, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll start, uh, start my bit talking about the sort of Series A and beyond. Awesome. Just to, sorry to jump in, Simon. I've just stopped sharing my video, so I think you can probably now press the start video. Okay, I feel can I can do this. Share the video button. Yeah, uh, I've, it says it just says it. I've, I've clicking start video, and it says you can't start your video because the host has stopped it. So, um, right. don't worry. Let's I'll, just, uh, I'll, I don't know why that's why that's the case. Um, let me just try one more one more time. I don't. Yeah, it's not. That's not. That's not working. The uh, the video. I'm sorry. You just have to hear my. Yeah, unfortunately, my, we're, yeah, we're not going to be able to down. It's all good. <laughs> let's, let's just no, that, that's that's fine, Tom. Look, um, yeah. So if I if I just start off, I'll, I'll talk kind of on two on two topics. Firstly, kind of what investors look for at the Series A and beyond stage, and then yeah. talking about like the funding process, um, as in um, the kind of various stages through the that you have to execute on to kind of successfully raise capital. So these are the two kind of topics that I'll cover. So so the first one is kind of what what investors um, look for, and um, some of this actually Tom's already covered. You need to have sort of um, IP and, and barriers to entry. You know, investors are looking for that. They want to see a quality management team um, and the importance of that management team um, and the quality of that management team increases the earlier stage you are. So um, the earlier you are in the, in, the, in the company's life and if an institutional investor is coming on board, they'll really want to sort of um, sort of take, they take comfort in the management team of because that's really all there is at these early stage companies that it is just the people. And so um, the earlier the company, the more important that management team are. Um, and they, they're also looking for a large addressable market. So the things that they are looking for are sort of IP barriers to entry, quality management team, and a large addressable market. But but those actually aren't aren't the most important. What's kind of even more important than those three is traction and growth. And that's what sort of sets um, set these companies apart. That's where you see these yeah sort of super high valuations, uh, lots of money going into sort of companies which have only been around you know 12, 24 months. And and the reason is um, is yes, they may have some of that IP, they may have good management team and and the addressable market, but it's the growth which really gets uh, investors going. And um, and that's what kind of has the biggest chance of getting getting you noticed, getting you a success, and and overcomes all manner of, of problems. If you've got the growth, that covers up all manners of other issues that you may have. And I remember being on a uh, with a client and stepping into um, stepping into an investor pitch, um, and um, and the uh, and the CEO said, "Look, yeah, you know, two months ago we're doing thirty thousand pounds of revenue a month. We're now doing thirty thousand pounds of revenue a day." And and suddenly, you know, everyone's eyes just lit up, 
you had everyone's attention and that's kind of the most important thing uh, and if you talk about growth as i said that's kind of what gets investors most uh, excited um, in terms of the sort of returns that investors are looking at at the series a and beyond um, well if we go back to sort of seed seed stage typically at the seed stage investors are probably looking for 10x 10 times their money back is is where they'll be at on the on a on a seed on a seed round so they need to see a plan which delivers them 10 times their money. Uh, when you're at a Series A, it's quite a spread. I'd say it's sort of anything from five to 10 times their money back. That's kind of cash on cash they want to receive. So every you know, million pounds they invest, they would want to get you know, five million or 10 million back. Um, and then when you're at Series B, it's it's um, it's still quite punchy, but more more modest compared to the seed in Series A. And I'd say it's sort of more the four or five times uh, returns. And then when you're sort of beyond series um series b and it's more yeah like a sort of i suppose uh, private equity type transactions uh they're, they'll be typically looking to sort of double their money or triple their money um and so the sort of obviously you know the further the more advanced the company the later it all is on the on the on the life the less risk there is for for the investors coming in and so therefore they they're not looking for such a high rate of return and conversely at the earlier stage there's massive of risk and they need to really sort of have have returns or see potential for returns which kind of commensurate them for that compensate them for that risk so that's kind of where where you know broadly what investors are looking for <clears throat> um and then i'll just talk a bit about the funding process and this is some funding process that we would run if we were kind of acting for um for, for kind of a growth a growth stage tech company who's looking to raise kind of money from um institutional vc investors um so so there's kind of three three broad stages um that we we talk about there's the preparation stage then there's the go-to market stage and then there's the closing stage in terms of in terms of time frames for that we we would say if you if you're doing that sort of raise, you typically need to allow anything from five to six months. So it isn't a kind of quick. It's not a quick process. It is it is something that yeah we would say kind of budget for five to six months. It can certainly be done quicker. We've don't, seen it done quicker, but I would say tip, typically that would be um, the time to allow. And 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 it and it's the closing stage which does take up more time because they're institutional investors there their bar and their requirement for diligence is much higher than you'd see at, a, at an earlier stage. But if we just talk about the, the preparation stage and what needs to be done at that stage, uh, and I said, this, this could be done pretty, pretty quickly and, you know, can, you know, we can get companies ready to market in, in as little as two weeks. Um, the, the preparation stage is you um, need to agree um, your, your, your um, financial plan um, and the financial plan is probably the kind of most important piece because it needs to show that level of growth um, to give investors a return. So we're talking about a kind of level of growth where if it's a Series A, you know, five to 10 times their money back. Um, so they need to see how that company is going to hit hit those numbers so that when it comes to sale or um, or f future follow-on round, which allows them to cash, cash out, they're going to be able to get their money, uh, get that sort of return. So that kind of financial plan is really important, and it's something that will get scrutinized. It needs to be bottom-up um, based on how many, uh, yes, from the cost side, you know, how, how your staff, who you're employing, how you're deploying those marketing budgets, and then in terms of the revenue, where that, um, where that revenue comes in. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, quite a quite a granular bottom up plan, which would get a lot of scrutiny. Um, 
the other things that you need to prepare is then that investor deck, and that'll be quite similar to what what uh, what's already been covered by um, by by Tom earlier um, on the series uh, on the uh, seed seed investor deck. It's you know typically around twenty slides. Um, and then also as part of that uh, preparation stage is the virtual data room, which Tom's mentioned, where you're putting in all your legal contracts, um, uh, all your key kind of employment contracts and um, having that kind of ready ready and set up will certainly kind of help you in that closing phase. And then the third um, third thing you need to then do is decide who you're going to approach and, and drawing up the investor list of who you're going to approach. And so that's kind of what you need to do at the prep stage. And as I said, that can be done pretty pretty quickly, especially, yeah, a lot of companies already have the financial plan in place. And um, and so we can be out to market pretty pretty quickly. Um, we're then into the sort of, I suppose, go-to-market stage. And that's when you start making those approaches to investors. And typically what we would say is, approach yeah when we're running a process we'd approach investors with a sort of two-page summary of the business so sort of teaser and on the back of that they would then decide whether they wanted to sort of progress to see the full investor deck and have a meeting with um with the uh with the entrepreneur and the technology company um and and then and those meetings would be typically kind of anything from sort of 40 minutes to an hour and a half uh, as I said, they can run over if investors really like it, and they can sort of you know, clear their diary. But typically, you know, they, they you need to be kind of covering your material uh, on a on a pitch deck within you know within sort of forty minutes, allowing for questions as well. So um, so that's kind of part of that. And then you'll be having follow up meetings with investors as they bring in other members of the team um, to sort of assess it, and it needs to go through an investors investment committee. Um, uh, and then you'll be sort of trying to get term sheets from those investors. And the idea is that you want a number of term sheets landing at a similar time. And then you're using that competitive tension of competing term sheets to really kind of push your valuation, get the best deal structure. And then you're into that stage where you're then selecting your preferred um, your preferred investor that you or it could be investors if it's a syndicate of a number of investors you're then selecting your preferred investor to then say like yeah we want to close this deal with this uh, with this party and and you think then it's all done but unfortunately it's still quite a lot of work to be done one of the things the investors will ask for is exclusivity so they want to make sure that you don't speak to anyone else during this time and, and that exclusivity will be typically sort of two to three months and this is when the sort of, I suppose, the nasty part of the transaction kind of really kicks in, um, and it's the um, and it's the due diligence part of the transaction where they'll be appointing lawyers and accountants to really sort of check um, that the company is making the claims that the claims that may are made by the company do stack up. So it is an inherently negative process, and it's one that kind of does kind of wear people down. And um, and the lawyers love asking questions. And um, no, yeah, and and the preparation work that we talked about about preparing a virtual data room early on, the more the better shape that's in, the more prepared you are for that, will really kind of help smooth that uh, that uh, that closing process. The other thing which is happening in parallel with due diligence is the legal contracts. And that is where um, the, share, the formal kind of long form legal contracts are being drawn up. So that's the sort of terms at which um, the investor is kind of going to be a shareholder in the company. So um, as well as obviously putting in cash, they also want to have sort of various protections for their minority, their, their minority stake and, and, and it'll cover things like kind of positions on the board, 
um, and and there's various sort of details that need to be covered off. And again, there's a negotiation that goes alongside those legal documents. And so again, that needs to be kind of done. And ideally, if you can do that in parallel with the due diligence, it will kind of shorten that closing uh, closing time frame. So it is it is a sort of full on process uh, to to kind of bring in um, bring in institutional money. They take it very seriously, uh, but the the kind of the, the upside is that you're getting kind of larger chunks of money. You know, typically Series A investors will want to invest at least sort of a million, two million pounds um, to go through that sort of level of work. So, so it it does it does mean that you're you have then got a well capitalized company to sort of progress and hit your targets. So I'll probably kind of pause there, see if there's any questions, uh, Tom. Yeah, no, brilliant. That was some amazing insights. Thank you so much, Simon. So yeah, we do we have quite a few questions, I think. Why don't we start with Andrew Matthews? He's chatting about pre-revenue business. Uh, could you speak to your recommendations and the advantages of, of the following fundraising options for your initial capital, uh, bootstrapping with all your savings? So I don't know about you, Simon, but my, my advice would be raise capital and keep, keep all your savings as backup. Uh, one of the big issues with an early stage business is, and one of the threats is running out of money. So if you can raise capital and keep your savings as backup, uh, I think that that's the best advice. Uh, if you can't raise capital, you might need to use some of that money, uh, some of your savings to, to bootstrap and you are going to get a higher valuation once you've you've bootstrapped and and, and mm. spent that money on getting the MVP live and, and getting a little bit of um, traction because your valuation is going to go from, say, 1 million to 5, but it is a risky period. So my advice would be hold on to your savings and try to raise first. Would you agree, Simon? Yeah, no, I think I think if you, if you can raise money, money certainly, and I think you, yeah, as well, it sort of probably comes back down to a bit about the plan that you're trying to execute on, and I think about sort of cutting your cloth accordingly. So yeah, don't don't start sort of spending kind of yeah hundreds of thousands of pounds on salaries when you're sort of bootstrapping it yourself. You've got to really sort of get people on board with a similar mindset. You may have to give up a bit of equity to do that. So it is at that earlier stage until you've got that proof of kind of revenue traction you really have to sort of really kind of kind of watch the watch the pounds and watch the pennies and really and really sort of yeah kind of get get through that proof point uh, yourself really and so you've got to cut your costs accordingly so i wouldn't be if i was sort of starting up a company now i wouldn't be sort of overexposing myself personally yeah and, and if that means sort of bringing in um yeah a partner or friends and family around to help you but they've got to really believe in you but it is quite a sort of unique situation those and each one's very each kind of startup journey is very it's like a novel it's got its own story of how they did it and it and there's not sort of one size fits all so i think every you've got to sort of assess it on a case by case and someone you know in their 20s is going to approaching it is going to look very different to someone in their 30s and likewise someone in their sort of late 40s who's probably got a bit more sort of capital behind them is going to have a very different approach so it is it is quite personal how people kind of choose to make that step yeah definitely and the second question was uh from andrew was friends and family round what funding structure do you recommend convertible no debt uh, with modest interest rate or all equity um really depends on the family member, I think. And I would probably say equity, um, just hand over, whether it be 2.5%, 5%. Early on, if you're taking on debt, the future investors are kind of going to have a look at that and it might be a bit of a warning sign. Um, So I would probably just say equity. Would you agree, Simon? 
Yeah, I think at these at these stages you don't want to have it complicated. It's an it's a risky investment. It's an you know people want equity exposure. It's not you're not going to be able to support yeah. that at that early stage. Yeah, I mean if it's a, a parent that kind of doesn't expect the money back, you might um, you might have a little side agreement with them. But yeah, I think, yeah, I think equity and angel investor with this. What funding structure do you recommend? Do you know answer that, Simon? Yeah, I'd still say equity. You know, you want to be keeping it, keeping it simple, keeping it clean. I think the yeah, the the, the key is the dilution for the founder and the entrepreneur. He doesn't want to sort of take too much dilution, and and um, and and it's kind of trying to find a valuation which works at those stages because you don't have traditional financial metrics to base a valuation on. You can't base it on a profit multiple because you're probably not profitable. Um, yeah, obviously turnover multiples are. Are sort of more common now for tech companies but again uh, that may not give you the right number so it is a it is sort of a, a a negotiation and a discussion about kind of what both sides are comfortable with certainly yeah that early stage you don't want to be giving up more than sort of yeah 20 percent to an angel investor for that first round otherwise by the time you come to your series a or your series b you're going to have so so little equity in the game it's going to make it hard work of yeah, for all that risk, personal risk you've taken to build the company. So it's, it is a judgment call, but definitely don't, you don't want to give too much equity away, but I don't think the stage of the company supports a structure akin to debt. So um, so it is sort of, uh, it is equity, but not too much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Ryan uh, has a good question. You mentioned 10 to 20% equity to investors. Would you say it's better to offer 10% for a more silent partner and nearer to 20% for an investor with some ability to provide additional growth and strategy. So I I mean, I, I usually like to say, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. If an, an, an inv- a strategic investor is going to give you five hours a week um, and, and start helping you in the business, you can give them a bit more equity um, to someone that just says, here's your money, I'm too busy, I don't, I don't wanna have anything to do with the business. Mm-hmm. You do need to set expectations though, because if they find out, one might feel like they're getting ripped off and be disgruntled and not going to give you money at the, a later date. Um, so I think, yeah, you, you can adjust that amount of equity they get and adjust that valuation, uh, but you just need to set expectations. Yeah, no, I think um, I think it's probably worth saying that at an angel stage, I'll be looking to give away less equity. When it's a series A, typically, investors will be looking for probably at least 20 percent mm-hmm. yeah 20 to 30 percent is t- tends to tends to be what you kind of see at that series a you know they want to have a decent exposure to to the upside so they'll be yeah it's hard for them to sort of do less than 20 percent although it sometimes happens mm-hmm. um so that's kind of where where it's where it's at yeah yeah brilliant Another question uh, directed at you, Simon. Simon mentioned quality management team is one of the requirements to successful, uh, successfully raise funds. When is a good time to hire people uh, if you are yet to raise enough funds to pay salaries? When is a good time, when is a good time to raise? <laughs> yeah. I mean, my thought is, yeah, you want, you want a quality team, obviously, as soon as possible. You need to be able to sell your vision, your mission, and you need to be able to try to get these Early amazing quality team members over the line for maybe just equity without a salary. They they might just be helping you part time for the first twelve months. It might be a CTO that's getting paid one hundred and fifty thousand pounds a year that because you can't quit their job, you don't have that money to pay them yet. Um, but you're happy to give them say five or ten percent vesting over four years, for instance. So they have to prove their worth. 
uh, and you just need to outline that you haven't raised the funds yet. You'd love to have them on board. You're happy to give them some equity, uh, but they'll be getting a paid a salary once you get you know closer to Series A and you have enough funds to start paying everyone mm. um, some half decent salaries. Yeah, and no, I think uh, I think that's that's fair. And it's it's unlikely that if you're early early stage. Um, you'll be able to go in the market and just sort of hire the best the best management team. You're just not you know, you're not going to be able to get um, yeah to, yeah a VP from from uh, from Google to come and join you unless unless you know them personally or there's some other connection. So it is sort of using your, your networks, people that you worked for before, uh, and and sort of getting them to come on board and almost yeah whether it's sort of their found yeah kind of co-founders with you or or like um like tom said you know kind of giving you know giving them some equity to sort of get get them on board and uh, or or share options is a way to is a way to sweeten it uh to get them on board because you know you're not going to be able to afford afford to get them otherwise yeah yeah exactly another question from anonymous uh, early in the presentation i think tom mentioned that the pre-seed would typically be a raise of under twenty thousand. Uh, then before the seed round, there would be an MVP and start getting some traction. My question is, uh, what if the development of the application would cost at least 50? So, I mean, when I mentioned yet yeah, pre-seed small round, that can be from you know, 10 to 50 to 100, the more the merrier. Uh, it really also with the MVP, it depends if it is going to cost you 50,000 you can and you haven't raised 50,000 you can look at other alternatives for instance cutting in an engineer if you cut in an engineer if you only raise 20,000 pounds but you cut in an engineer that you know you might spend some money on design work but that engineer that you've cut into the business will build that mvp over a 3 to 6 month period you're not going to need that 50 um, so it really depends you know how much you raise uh, development obviously uh, you know, it's, if you're using an agency, it, it's it can be pricey. If you find an engineer, it can cost nothing. So, really, depending on how much you raise, you need to weigh that up. Um, I, I think I always like to say, as soon as you start working on an idea, start meeting in, in engineers. Uh, engineers, if you don't have um, that engineering skill or ability, it's, it, they're going to be really important when building a tech company. So start um, jumping on networking events, start meeting engineers, try to try to find that engineer that. Um, they might just work part-time in the beginning uh, and full-time after six months, but um, yeah, raise as much as money pre-seed, but we typically see you know, around 20 to 40 being raised. And um, then yeah, based on whether you have an engineer or not is, is how much it's going to cost you to develop. Now, let's find another question. Uh, Andrew Matthews, on the friends and family equity round, how much room do you have in terms of valuation? I mean, is, is there a max cap of the valuation that you really uh, can really push, say, one million, especially if it's pre-revenue? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very difficult to value a business when you're pre-revenue. They're really investors are really only looking at uh, the team uh, and the, you know the idea and the, and the market size. Uh, but again, coming back to friends and family, I think it's more about how much do you want, how much uh, equity do you do you feel comfortable giving your friends and family? They're taking a lot of risk. I think around the 500,000 to 1 million um, valuation is fair for your family members. Uh, if you do have a gigantic partnership over the line, you've got the you know, ex-CTO of Telstra, um, you, you're going to be able to, that amazing team and, and, and scalable idea, you're probably going to be able to push that valuation up a bit. But 
Um, I think you really need to look after your family members and, and give them at least five or ten percent, um, up to up to say fifteen or twenty. But keeping in mind, as Simon said, uh, around Series A, the VCs are going to want twenty to thirty percent. Um, so just keep that in mind. Uh, Ryan, to account for startup costs as per your pie chart, I'm looking at raising three hundred thousand pounds if i'm offering 10 percent equity which values the company at three million is that feasible uh yes i think um i mean if you're pre-revenue i don't think you should be three hundred thousand is amazing if you have friends and family that are happy to put in three hundred thousand i've seen it a lot happen uh it, but it's it's not uh it's, it's a little bit rare um i really think that you know, pre-seed, you probably want to start looking at a raising a little bit less, getting the MVP live, the valuation down a little bit, say one, um, one to one point five, uh, and then just raising, you know, two hundred to equal three hundred, a little bit further down when you've actually, you know, got the MVP live, you've proven the business, you've got a little bit of transaction volume, um, that that's going to allow you to maybe get the valuation to you know, three, four, five. Um, so, uh, yeah, go for 300. Um, but I, I like to always say, start with five. I see founders right, trying to raise 250, 300 after six months, they're struggling. Uh, they haven't been able to find that investor that wants to take that huge risk in a pre-revenue company says so start with raising 5,000 pounds, understand how your, your data room looks, how the legals look, how the term sheet for an investor looks, um, creating the cap table. Start with raising five, ten, um, and get that experience of raising capital for a startup, and then start looking at raising larger check sizes. The founders precede. I see raising the quickest, fastest, easiest. They start small. They might um, they, they might raise five thousand off ten people, fifteen people. Uh, if you look at Uber, for instance, he he raised, I would say ten thousand US dollars off about twenty people. All of those investors took a huge risk. Their equity is now worth ten million US dollars plus. They, they got amazing returns, um, crazy returns. But yeah, he started small. Same as same as Amazon. You know, he started a few friends and family. Family then put in, I think, one hundred and twenty thousand. He then went and raised a million, and no VC backed him. Jeff went and got, I think, fifty thousand off twenty people. Um, so keep that in mind until you like that large 300, 400, 500 million, it's really usually comes in when you've got this amazing team and you've got, uh, you've, you've proven the business, you've got some transaction volume coming in. Uh, let's have a look for some more questions. Pancage, I, the Kickstarter, is that the kicks? Are you referring to Kickstarter, uh, Crowdfunding? Do you want to just rewrite that question? I'm I'm a little bit confused over that one. Um, okay, and last, uh, Andrew Matthews. Last question on debt versus equity. My previous debt question was assuming uh, a bullet repayment of a future date. I was envisioning a friends and family arrangement that is cordial, friendly, raising from a wealthy 60-year-old, for example, and say, I'll pay your money back when the big business is profitable or in you know, pay you back in five years. Have you ever seen something like this before? Um, 
I have, if it's especially an uncle or a grand grandpa, uh, you know, a wealthy friend, 60-year-old that you might know, um, that is really just you know, gifting, gifting money. Um, I think it's possible, but again, the future investors, the net, the VC firms are going to look at, I think, you know, the debt and they're going to be a bit worried. Um, when, when a business has debt that they have to pay off, it, it, it can be a bit of a concern. Um, Simon, you've probably got a, a response for that as well. Yeah, no, I think if there's a um, if there's a bullet payment um, in the future, that will make it really hard for certain VCs to come on board. And yeah, it needs to the business when you're then speaking to investors or the VCs to raise capital, you'll need to have considerable traction elsewhere and have enough other good points kind of to overcome that quite large negative point on that uh, on that bullet payment. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, we'll pay your your money back when the business is profitable. Like VCs, um, tech companies aren't typically profitable for a long, long time, and some investors understand and, and don't mind that. Uh, Uber, for instance, something I mentioned before, they're not profitable. They're not going to be profitable for a while, but the market cap continues to go from your ten million, hundred million, billion. Two billion, and all the investors' equity is skyrocketing and worth so so much more. Um, so, and they're land grabbing. They they you know are scaling to new cities, new countries. They're acquiring ten thousand new drivers a week. They don't care about profitability. Um, so, saying that you know you pay back when profitable, uh, I think that the investor uh, yeah, is is probably not going to get that that payment for a long time. And as Simon said, the VCs are, will be a bit concerned there. Uh, happy to happy to have a call um, offline as well, Andrew. If you if you want to continue that discussion, uh, we've got one more question. What's your advice on financial projections? Currently forecasting my cash flows and my revenues uh, are highly dependent on how much I can grow my user base. My user base uh, penetration is based on assumptions of market size and say so capturing a very small percentage of the market, whilst having an SEO marketing budget. Is there a better way? Uh, let me get my head around that question. Do we? Do you want me to jump jump yeah, in? Jump in. Yeah, on. yeah. No, I think I think it's um. It sounds like he, he, the person who asked that question is going about going about it in the right way in terms of thinking bottom up, thinking about like the evidence to support your numbers, and so it's sort of the, the things, the detail that you're phrasing in there is exactly the sort of detail that will feed into your assumptions that drive your financial plan. So I think it, yeah, it feels. I feel from 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 your question that you're kind of thinking along the right lines. You just got to work it through methodically. And these, yeah, financial plans they um yeah they do they do need that detail to be built up and bottom up, and that will show real kind of credibility when you speak to investors. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Okay, cool. I think one more question: uh, What transaction volume is most likely to get a look in by investors from HP? So. I, th- I suppose we need to know uh, what type of investor. But let's say, let's say a VC around Series A. Simon, do you want to answer that? So, yeah, I'm just trying to say, you think understand what what it means. What transaction volume is most likely to get a look in by investors? What do you mean by transaction volume? Yeah. I think that's well, let's say traction. Like you know, the business is doing ten thousand a month, uh, and then all of a sudden does sixty thousand the following yeah. month. Scalable, the the VC gets excited. Um, yeah, I think yeah. Yeah, I think if you're at the Series A raising capital, you want to be at least 
um, kind of at or close to getting to 1 million of recurring revenue uh, a year, ARR. So I think that's um, MRR of about 80K. So I think you need to be kind of on that on that path to get there or, or well, you need to be very going to get there pretty quickly or, or there already to, to really get, to, um, yeah, to really get on that sort of Series A investor radar. Yeah, yeah. And as Simon said, the the you know, monthly reoccurring revenue, if it's only going up 1%, if it's going up 20%, 50%, the higher, the the quicker the, the VCs want to fight over investing. Uh, you know, as he, he mentioned, there was a startup that was doing 30000 a month and then all of a sudden they came back and they're doing 30000 a day and that's when you're, you're in a very, very strong position and, and VCs are fighting um, to invest and and you can really basically take that investment on your terms um, as opposed to, to, to begging for the money. Um, okay, fantastic. Well, I think that's all the questions we've got for now. Um, we've been a bit around an hour, so, so I don't want to take up any more um, of, of anyone's time. But thank you so much for all attending. And, Simon, thank you so much for, for joining the panel. It was absolutely amazing, fantastic insights, and, and I really appreciate it. Thanks. No, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, Simon. Okay, thanks, cheerio. Guys. If anyone has any other questions, feel free to to email uh, Matt or myself and we'll be happy to answer any further questions. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of How to Start a Startup brought to you by Hyper. Do you have a product or business idea but don't know where to start? Visit us at hyperhq.com and book a free confidential session with a Hyper business mentor to discuss your idea and how to make it a reality. We'd love to talk. And that's all for this week. See you next time. Mm -hmm.